Good morning, church family. Good to see you in the house of the Lord this morning. Powerful time of worship. Looking forward to digging into the Word. You'll take your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. I want to remind you uh, this morning as we leave the service this morning, uh, we are taking up a, a special love offering for Pastor Fabio's family. Pastor Fabio Flores, uh, if you were here last fall, you remember uh, he was here and uh, spoke at our church, had a chance to meet him. Uh, we have partnered with them for probably about 15 years, uh, El Redentor Church in Managua, Nicaragua. Uh, they have a large Compassion International ministry. Uh, very, uh, they're in the inner city of Managua, the capital of, of Nicaragua, and have an opportunity to minister to uh, kids that are underprivileged and underserved. And uh, just a few weeks ago, he uh, passed in his sleep and uh, early 50s, 53, 54, something like that. And uh, we are taking up a special love offering that will just help his wife and uh, their two kids and uh, help meet some immediate needs that they have. Uh, we were supposed to serve alongside of him. We're going to still be going there and ministering with our mission team that leaves on June the 23rd, headed to Managua, and we're excited. We're going to uh, just love on his wife and his uh, son and daughter while we're there and get a chance to minister to them. In fact, uh, during his funeral a few weeks ago, I uh, was watching online. It was as live streaming, and he had our Greater Things. His, the son had our Greater Things uh, t-shirt on from last year that I had given Pastor Fabio. He was wearing that at the funeral. It was just kind of neat to see the impact uh, that this ministry has uh, been able to have around the world and see how God is using uh, them to continue sharing the gospel uh, of Jesus Christ. I was talking with Melissa Smith, uh, who serves in Managua. She will be uh, alongside of our team the entire time we're in, in uh, Nicaragua. And she'll actually be here in a, a couple weeks, uh, coming home for a, a few days. And we'll be traveling with our team to Managua and, uh, on June 23rd. And I was talking to her and she said, yeah, Pastor Bismarck, uh, who serves there with the Compassion Ministry at El Redentor, uh, his wife just had a baby, uh, I think just a few days ago, and so we're going to get to see, meet their, uh, their brand new baby, and uh, we're excited to see how God is going to continue using that ministry, uh, and uh, just be praying for Pastor Fabio and his family. So if you would like to give, you can give at the door on your way out, uh, you can also give online or in the offering boxes over the next few weeks, and we'll be leaving on June 23rd. We'll be commissioning and praying over that team uh, here in just a few days as we prepare. According to Pew Research, barely half of U.S. adults are married, and nearly four in ten believe marriage has become obsolete as an institution. Today's message is the second in a series entitled Me, We, Us, Relationships 101. And we're looking at marriage by divine design. Marriage was God's plan from the beginning, and not man's. God created marriage, and we don't get the luxury of redefining it. Genesis 1 gives the story of creation. Genesis 2 gives a more detailed concerning God's creating man and creating woman and, and how he created them uh, for marriage. And it was marriage for, for a lifetime. So, so I invite you to look at the Word of God this morning. I want to encourage us to... As we study the Word of God, let's learn for ourselves. Don't just take what society tells us the standard is. Let's look at the Word of God and see what God's Word has 
to say about marriage. Marriage by divine design. Genesis chapter 2, beginning in verse 18, will be on the screen. It says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock, to all the birds of the heavens, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed it up its place with flesh. The rib that, that the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this is at last... This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called what church? Woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave uh, his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. Heavenly Father, would you speak to our hearts? God, society is doing everything it can to distort that which you created, that which you ordained. And Lord, marriage was your idea. It was your plan. And, and you saw it, you said it was good. And, and, and God, I'm thankful that your, your way is perfect. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God, help us as we look at, at Scripture this morning. God, will we understand what, Lord, the plan that you have for, for man and, and for woman and for marriage. And God, what that looks like. Even in a society that's, that's often confused and often distracted and often losing sight of, of your plan and your purpose for our lives. God, would you encourage us this morning? God, those, help those that are contemplating marriage to, uh, to look at your word and see the pictures that you describe of what a, a husband and wife, a man and woman coming together in, in holy matrimony should look like. And, and God, help us to desire those things. Help those of us that are married to recommit ourselves and uh, be committed to that covenant relationship that we made, uh, uh, whether that be uh, weeks ago or years ago, uh, committing ourselves to that relationship and that marriage and the, uh, the, the one that you've given to us. God, would you speak to our hearts, challenge us, transform lives. God, most importantly, if there's someone who does not know you as Lord and Savior, God, I pray that today would be that moment of salvation. We give you all the praise, honor, glory, in your precious name we pray. Amen. The teaching of scripture on human origins and marriage is foundational for the rest of the Bible. Adam and Eve were real individual human beings. Sometimes you can look at scripture and you can think, well, that's just hypothetical. That's just a, a name, but it's, it's not an actual person. But Adam and Eve were actual man and woman that God created, the first of his creation of humankind, and he places them in a perfect environment. And, and they're uh, all, Adam and Eve were, were real human beings from whom all humanity can be traced. Jesus speaks of Adam and Eve as real people. He speaks of their marital union as the basis, basis for the sanctity of marriage. And in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4, it says this, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother shall hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. God created gender. God came up with it. And folks, 
You and I can dream up as many different genders in the human mind that's possible because man is sinful. And folks, if we're not careful, we can depart from what the truth of God's word says. God created male and female. You can't improve on that. If you were created a male, you are a male. If you created a female, you are a female. God created only two genders. It's not political. This church is biblical. That is the solid truth, folks. It's not debatable. It's not up for debate. And as much as our culture and our society is trying to deviate from God's word, when you throw out the scriptures, you throw out God's word, then all truth is subjective. All truth is relative based on how we feel. But church is not based on our feelings. It's based on God's holy word. When he created man, when he created woman, you can't perfect on that. You can't make that any better. It's not political. It's biblical. So God created male and female, and it's his creation. When he got done, he said, it is good. In addition, the apostle Paul builds his case for the sinfulness of every human being being traced back to Adam. Hold on, in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, therefore just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men. Why? Because all did what, church? All sinned. Because marriage matters to, to God, we must do marriage his way. So let's look at the trouble this morning. Ultimately, God looks around. He created Adam. There, there was a need for companionship. And, and we, we see as he created all of mankind, he created all of, uh, all of, uh, all of the, the birds of the air, the, 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 the land animals, the sea animals. He created all these things. God created Adam. He breathed life into him. He put him into the garden with a job to do, to work and to keep it, verse 15 says. In verse 18, God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. It's kind of a, an usually abrupt statement by, by God because in the Hebrew he says it's not good. It's placed at the beginning of the sentence for emphasis. It's interesting six times in Genesis chapter 1 where God is uh, outlining all of the days of creation, how God created light and, and darkness and the, and the seas and the, the dry land. But he says in verse 4, God saw the light that it was good. In verse 10, he says, God saw that it was good. In verse 12, he says, he saw that it was good. In verse 18, he said, it was good. In verse 21, God saw it all and said it was good. Verse 25, God saw that it was good. And in verse 31 of Genesis chapter 1, after surveying everything he had created, God declares, behold, it was very good. So then you move on to chapter 2, where we're at today. In Genesis chapter 2, is an expanded account of the six days of creation. God suddenly says something is not good. He said, it is not good that the man should be alone. He observed this as, as God's conclusion, not Adam's. God is the one who saw the trouble, created the solution. So right from the beginning, we see marriage is God's divine design. God has a plan. He has a purpose. He didn't forget Eve. So just in case some of you guys are out there thinking, ha, he totally forgot all about her. I mean, God, he said everything was good. And so all that he created and said it was good. 
and somehow he forgot about Eve. No. Sometimes we have to wait while God is perfecting and doing his greatest work. And folks, if we'll be patient, God's ways are always right. His ways are always good. His ways are always just. And, and so God, it was God's plan. God said he, he was going to make him a helper or someone that would complete him. And, and folks, it would, marriage is God's divine design. That's what God says, not what society or culture or the courts say. It's what God's word says is true. The word helper refers to a helper for him, a complement, a completer. In Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength. A very present what, church? Help. A very present help in our times of trouble. A helper is one who supplies what is lacking in a situation in another person, the one who is like but opposite him. The, the helper is that perfect fit for him. She will be his counterpart, the missing piece, like a jug, jigsaw puzzle. When you're putting, anybody like to put together puzzles? Anybody out there like to put together puzzles? Our family loves tackling puzzles, and we have so much fun at times. Uh, and we'll, we'll sit down, and especially if we're on vacation and we have a few days in one spot, we'll bring puzzles and we'll, we'll work on them. And it's one of those things that you can kind of jump in and out anytime you want to. And you just sit down for, if you have five minutes, you work on the puzzle and put a few pieces in. And over Christmas vacation, someone had given us several puzzles and we had this one and it was so incredibly hard. It was a thousand pieces. I mean... I'm just intimidated by that looking at the box, you know, but our family decided we we're going to tackle this puzzle. And so everybody worked all week long on this puzzle uh, during Christmas vacation. And, and we're sitting there and all of a sudden we're starting to look around going, nothing is fitting this one hole. I mean, I literally, it was down to like 20 some pieces left and I had tried every single piece that was left upwards, downwards, sideways, backwards, it was not going to fit in that spot. And I'm like, what in the world? We get done with the whole puzzle, and there's literally a piece in the middle that's missing. Then I'm looking around at our dog going, I think he ate the puzzle piece. I mean, I, we don't really know. Survey's still out there, but he's no longer with us. But anyway, I'm not kidding. I, he didn't make it. He, now he passed away at 14 and a half years old, but he, I think he did eat our piece of our puzzle, but it's like that piece of the puzzle that's missing. God completed Adam. He sent him a helper. He sent him a counterpart that was opposite but equal. And folks, it's God's design is perfect. He proactively provided a partner for Adam. By the way, it wasn't an accident. His plan was perfect from the beginning. God created Eve to do what Adam could not do himself. And it's not that the man is better than the woman or the woman is better than the man. We are complementary. We help one another. We're there to complete and need each other. Having said that, we might expect the next verse to say, so God created Eve. The next verse to say, well, then God created Eve. But folks, that's not the reality. That's not what God did. Instead, he gave him an assignment. Uh, our kids are in uh, EOGs. They're uh, finishing up all of the assignments for the end of the year. And, and, and God bless you, teachers. I'm telling you. I mean, I can't even imagine grading some of these assignments. Because and, and, I've seen the 
the back side, the, ho the home side of some of these projects that I'm thinking to myself, I wouldn't want to read, you know, 64 of these projects. I wouldn't want to read all these term papers where they, you, it's obvious in the first paragraph, they know nothing of what they're talking about, and they're rambling on for seven pages of just back and forth ramble. And how many words can I, how many different ways can I say the same thing and still sound like I know what I'm talking about? And so, anyway, he gave them an assignment, but it was a zoology project. God sees the need for Adam to have a helper, but he delays an order for Adam to see the need. He wanted him to see there was a problem. And folks, have you ever noticed that sometimes God causes us to wait while he's working on us? He's maturing us. He's preparing us for that next step, the next stage, the next phase of life, the next season of life. And he wants to give us something. He wants to bless us. But in the waiting, God is doing something amazing. Sometimes it's in the waiting we begin to experience looking up to God. Trusting God, waiting on God, understanding what faith is all about. It's in the way that we experience God's greater plan. God was preparing Adam for something incredible. In verse 19, Adam is told to give names to all the animals. He says, Adam never doubted that God was an intelligent designer. Now out of the ground, verse 19 says, The Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, Brought them to the man to see what he would call them. This is the way of God putting Adam through premarital counseling. I'm going to prepare you for all that you're getting ready to experience. So he gave him a project. He says, you're going to name every animal. I'm going to march them by two by two. You're going to name them, every single one. And, and it, was, it was showing leadership as, as, he, as, as God had ordained him. Dominion over the fish of the sea. Of chapter, Genesis 1.28 says, Over the birds of the heavens, over the livestock, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Imagine, he must have looked around and said, What in the world is that? I mean, what in the world? A rhinoceros? I mean, a hippopotamus? I mean, you start looking around, you're like, What in the world was going through, through his brain as he's naming off all of these animals and all the different categories and but there was a purpose behind the parade of animals that God was also training Adam. He's preparing him to be a lover. As Adam surveyed all the animals, he saw Mr. and Mrs. Alpaca and Mr. and Mrs. Antelope. And as he goes all the way through every letter of the alphabet, he gets to Mr. and Mrs. Zebra. And I think we're done. I think we're finally uh, exhausted with the names. We've named them and, and he's exhausted. And for every animal that was both male and female, everyone had a partner. But where was his? Where was his equal and opposite partner? Uh, the, God was created with Adam a, a desire for a life mate. A need that he would soon meet in the creation of Eve. So as Adam needed to fill that need in his life for a wife, look at the end of verse 20. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Adam is lonely as he discovers for himself in verse 20 what God already knew in verse 18. He's living in paradise. Everything he could possibly imagine is perfect. You're sitting in a gorgeous Garden of Eden 
where everything is just beyond beautiful, no weeds. I mean, there's fruit on trees everywhere. There's, there's flowers. There's every plant, every, every animal that you could possibly imagine. It's like a perfect paradise. He's living in a sinless relationship with God. So imagine for just a moment how incredible this was. But he felt alone in a crowded garden, wondering, where's my helpmate? Where's the completer? So there's a solution. We saw the trouble, but there's a solution here. There's a need for completion. In verse 21, it says, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. While he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord had taken from him, from the man, he made it to a woman and brought her to the man. He says, the man said, this is at last, is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. We see again how God takes the initiative this time in giving Adam divine uh, amnesia and, and or anesthesia, no, amnesia, anesthesia rather, and, and he surgically removes one of his uh, ribs and he uses it to make a woman. The sculptor God carefully shapes her into someone who matches the man. Adam was formed, but Eve was made. I love how a commentator put it this way. He says, she was not taken from Adam's head that she should rule over him, nor from his feet that she should be trampled on by him, but she was taken from his side that she might be his equal, from under his arm that she might be protected by him, near his heart that he might cherish and love her. Eve was fashioned from Adam not to be identical, but to be complementary. They were similar, but not the same. She was from his rib to show him that she was part of him. And so when we refer to our wife as our better half, that's the truth. They are the completer, the, the completion of us. Our family are, are big Disney people right now. I'm not also always proud of that, but, uh, but we, we've always gone to Disney World. And, and there are certain pin sets. If you've ever been to Disney and you've collected pins from Disney World, they have a, a completer pin. So you might have all of these Disney characters in a, in a series, and then there's a completer pin. That one set of pins is not complete until you have the completer pin. So you can go all around the park and you trade for various pins. And what my wife, she got me excited about this on our honeymoon. And she literally did not realize she was unleashing like a monster. Because as we would go around Disney World, this is, a, I was 26 years old. She was 22 years We were on our honeymoon. And, and I lost track of what we were even doing because my goal was to get all these certain pins that I had set out on a mission, and she was like, you practically knocked down that grandmother over there who was trying to get a pin for her grandchild while you were trying to get a certain pin. I said, it was the completer pin. I had to have it. I couldn't take a chance on someone else getting that pin. Some of you are like, I have no earthly idea what you're talking about, but it was the completer. Eve was the completer to Adam. She was the one that made him whole. Eve was fashioned from Adam not to be identical, to be complementary. When we refer to them as our better half, man was only half of God's plan for human life. And the woman is the glory and crown of his creation. Paul picks up on this in Ephesians chapter 5. The same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. 
So in verse 22 of Genesis chapter 2, tells us God brought her to the man. As the ultimate matchmaker, God presented Eve to Adam. And folks, folks it's, it's the same word used in verse 19, how he brought the animals to Adam. I wonder if, if God said something like this on that busy day after he had gone from alpaca and all of the, you know, the crazy animals, the elephants and the, the lions and the tigers and all, it gets to zebra. If he looked around and said, oh, Adam, <laughs> you missed one. Uh, there's one more. Hold on. I want you just to lay down and we're going to take a little nap because you're tired. And, and, and I'm going to show you in just a second that last one. God created a partner for Adam. The only thing that Adam brought out of the garden was marriage. You can only imagine when Adam woke up from his sleep and saw Eve. The excitement. Imagine, you, you men, you remember the moment you see your spouse, your, your bride, at the altar for the very first time. And all of the excitement that's building up. And, and we had that um, moment where I got to see my wife uh, before the wedding. Uh, and we got, I got to see her all by myself. We were next door where the teens meet, where we'll have next steps. I got married in that building in, uh, many, many years ago, 2001. And uh, so I remember getting married, and as I was standing on that pulpit or up on the platform, and, and I was waiting, and I turned around, and there she was in the doorway. There's nothing like it. It's such an exciting moment, and and I remember, I was so thankful I didn't have to share that with all of the two or three hundred guests that were sitting out there. I got to celebrate that just myself. But, you know, imagine what Adam must have said when he woke up for the very first time. He looked over and he saw Eve. And he says, whoa, man, whoo, she is beautiful. Shit, that's the Greek word for woman. Uh, and so all of a sudden he looks around and he says, she is gorgeous. She is the most beautiful creation I've ever seen. She, he's ecstatic. And, and, and the word bone means uh, so, uh, the same substance. The flesh refers to his body. So he realized there's someone that's like him. Why was it Eve made from dust? I think it was to show that Adam, that she was part of him. She was equal to him. She wasn't lesser than him. And both are made in the image of God, and husbands and wives are the same, but yet different. We can be united even while not uniformly the same. We have equal value, but different roles. But then we see thirdly the picture. There's a need for communion here. God has brought Adam to, and Eve together, and he's joining them in holy matrimony, and the verses give us the best picture of marriage ever presented in verse 24. Therefore shall a man, man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And that's where every middle school kid is starting to laugh. He said naked from the stage. I mean, but the reality was is they were. They were naked. They were beautiful. They were in a perfect environment, and, and God placed them there in that environment. This verse is quoted by Jesus in Matthew chapter 19, and the Apostle Paul also deals with it in Ephesians chapter 5. So there are four key elements to this picture of communion. He says, first of all, it's leaving. All right, what is he saying? He says there's a, a, the Hebrew word is quite strong, and it means to cut off, to separate, 
to leave behind. Folks, when you get married, you leave the previous relationships behind. It doesn't mean that you hate your parents, but it means that you now have a new relationship with your spouse that is the number one priority in your life. And so you're saying, I'm leaving the old life behind and I'm joining to that new person. You're prioritizing your spouse. Your marriage creates a new family which now must take a higher priority than your previous family. Then there's also cleaving. In order to cleave, you must first leave. And once cleave, you must not leave. Think about it. You leave the old behind. You leave the past behind. And you move forward. The, fa- the phrase hold fast is also quite descriptive. It means to melt two separate entities together to form a permanent bond. It has the idea of joining two things together so tightly they can't be separated without hurting both things. That's why when there's a divorce, it's so painful because it rips apart things that weren't intended to be divided. But folks, that's the process. God says to leave and he says to cleave. And then he goes on and he says we're also to weave. A, A third word, to become one flesh is a lifetime process. According to Paul in Ephesians 5, 32, he says, this is a great mystery. We go from me and you to we. It's now husband and wife. We make this decision. And and if you're not careful, if you have kids, your kids will try to get in between you. And they'll, they'll try to say, mom, hey, will you let me do this? And and you know good and well your dad has said no. And so they'll, they'll use that as a drive a wedge between mom and dad. And the greatest thing you can do is stay united as a, as a husband and wife. So what did your mom say? Anybody else have these discussions? We have four kids. I mean, we're outnumbered. Uh, on the best of days, they're trying to get their way. And, and so they bypass whatever one they think is going to say no. And they go to the one they think is going to say yes. And, and my wife would say that would be me. And I'd probably say that's going to be her. But the reality is, is they're going to do everything they can. But you have to weave together. It has to be a, a decision. We. And if you have kids coming along, it becomes us. Me, we, and us. In God's math, marital math, though, one plus one equals one. Marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant before God. So he says, leaving, cleaving, and weaving describe what marriages are to look like. But when the marital vow is broken, grieving is sure to follow. We see grieving in verse 25 tells us they were totally exposed before each other. The man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. That's in chapter 2. But when you get to chapter 3, you see after man sinned and ate of the forbidden fruit, all of a sudden now they're grieving because they've sinned against God. So what was leaving and cleaving and weaving, which is such a beautiful thing, became grieving because now man and woman who are in a perfect environment, that are in a gorgeous garden with animals all around, and God's created man, and he's given a helper, a help me, and Eve, and all of a sudden they're in a perfect environment. What do they do? They go and they mess it all up. They make a big mess, just like we do. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to our own way. All the changes and 
All the changes in, in Genesis 3 is sin enters the relationship, resulting in guilt, grief, separation, and shame. And it foreshadows the shame of sin we hear in the words of Adam in Genesis 3.10. I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. Folks, sin causes shame, and oftentimes... Then we turn around and try to blame everyone else. Look at what happens. It changes our attitude. The blame game is the oldest game in the books. Some of you were playing games last night and talking about different games you were playing. But folks, the reality is if you trace it back to Adam and Eve, they played the blame game. Adam claimed the victim status in Genesis 3, 12. He said, the man said, the woman that you gave to me... <laughs> She gave me the fruit of the tree, and I ate. His immediate reaction is saying, it's all her fault. And, and folks, if we're not careful, that's how we respond as, as husband and wife in 2023. All these years later, said, that woman you gave me, it was all her fault. Or, or she points at him, that husband you gave me. I'm telling you, I knew he was troubled from day one. But when pressed by God to give an answer as to why what he did, Adam completely throws her under the bus. And understandably, Eve then takes the same option as she begins to blame. And she blames the serpent. The serpent, he deceived me. And I ate. God's objective for marriage is a loving relationship of oneness. Jesus said it this way in Mark chapter 10. He says, what therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So think of the two animals. We often talk about uh, being hitched. When you get married, you're getting hitched. Think of two animals. There are animals that are yoked together and hitched to a heavy wagon. One Belgian draft horse is able to pull 8,000 pounds by itself. However, two Belgian horses that are trained to work together in a harness can pull 32,000 pounds. Do the math. It's four times what one can do. When you're on the same team working towards the same goal, you can accomplish so much for the cause of Jesus Christ. You know what that says about the family today? Do you know what it says about... You as a husband, as a wife, if you will leave, if you will cleave, if you will weave, there's nothing you can't do with the power of the Holy Spirit of God in your life. You can work together as one. That's the power of synergy. A good relationship has a good reward because as people pull together, as couples pull together, great things happen for the kingdom. So pastor, what's the application? I'm glad you asked. If you're married this morning, be vigilant to guard your vows. Church, determine to keep those vows even when your feelings fade. Say, what do you mean? Not every day do you wake up and feel like it's your honeymoon all over again. Sometimes marriage is just hard. It's hard work. You wake up and you're like... That is not the person I married. Really? Because they're probably looking over and saying, 
the same thing. That's not the person I married. Yeah, we were probably about 50 pounds lighter or maybe 75. Let's be real. I, we, we were tan. We didn't have, I had hair. My kids have pulled up pictures from our honeymoon and they're dying laughing. I mean, I'm like, what's up with this? I mean, you're making fun of old dad. And you're like, dad, you look so much better without hair. You look bad. I mean, real bad with hair. And so they're making fun of dad. But folks, the reality is, is none of us look like we used to. Things are sagging, they're drooping, they're not looking like we were when we were 21. But the reality is, as we leave, as we cleave, as we strive together, folks, as we weave together, God begins to do something so supernatural. I think it's beautiful when an older couple, they begin to look alike. Ever see that? Isn't that the coolest thing? It's just... They are together so much. They're so in love. My wife and I constantly walk out the door wearing the same exact color. You know what she tells me? She's like, why'd you copy me? I was like, my clothes were hanging out last night on the dresser right there. You hadn't even picked out your dress. When I left to take the kids to school this morning, you weren't even out of the shower yet. And... I was gone. I didn't know what you were wearing. She said, I, I didn't remember seeing what you were wearing, but we're wearing the exact same color. It just happens. You have similar interests. You're drawn to one another. You, you love being around. But folks, even when those feelings fade, you have to guard your vows. You have to determine, I am committed for life. Ladies and gentlemen, marriage matters to God and therefore it must matter to us. See your spouse as the companion, the one who completes you, the one that you are to live in communion with. Make sure that you've done the leaving part. You're cleaving and you're allowing the Holy Spirit to work at weaving your lives into one so you don't end up grieving in the end. And secondly, live out your covenant vows. I don't know the particular situation that you're in, but God can repair even the craziest damage. I have witnessed in my lifetime many different marriages, couples even that have gotten divorced, that God has brought them back together in marriage again. And you're like, that's not even possible. With God, all things are possible. God is able to forgive. He's able to help us forget and move past. Determine right now, no matter what your spouse has done or hasn't done, you'll do what you can to live with them and do your part, live out your part of the covenant. Staying married is not about staying in love. It's about keeping the covenant with God and with your spouse. And then thirdly, it takes three to make a marriage work. God must be at the center of your home for it to work. Paul David Tripp says, if God isn't at the center of your longings, your longings will never be satisfied. Adam and Eve didn't start to have problems when they, uh, just because they were in the garden, they started when they moved away from God. They were tempted, they were drawn away, and that's when they were 
they fell into sin. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12 says, a, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So as God is at the center of our home, we're weaving together a relationship that is so strong when trials, when tests, when, when, when tribulations come our way, we lean into the one who gives us strength. He's the help one that helps us in our times of trouble. Among this, the surest predictors of whether a couple will stay married is how regularly they put Jesus Christ first and also how often they gather together for worship. Picture this, a triangle where Jesus is at the top and you've got a husband and wife at the bottom. I think it's behind me. The closer you to move to God, the closer you come to one together. Think about it. The closer you move toward your relationship with God, the, the closer you come in fellowship and communing with Him, spending time with Him, the closer you come as husband and wife. It's a beautiful picture. It's how God ordained it. Marriage was God's divine design. You can't improve on what he perfected. So let's get back to doing it God's way and experiencing God's blessing. Heavenly Father, would you move in our hearts this morning?